Whoa, shit, man. It's real. A <laughs> uh, little bit of a teaser there for everyone listening. Welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I have got a very special guest for you. Today, I'm joined by a competitive strongman and powerlifter, as well as the founder of the Top Strength Project. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Steve Tripp. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How's it going with you? I am not so bad. Um, What's been happening in your world? What have you been up to recently? It's been pretty. Um, it's it's been pretty straight out recently. I've had a lot of um, competitions myself, as well as hosting and traveling. Um, most recently, th- this past weekend was was our sixth uh, Ocean State Strongest Man and Woman. Um, there there are two federations here in the U.S. for strongmen. There's the USS and the NAS. I'm, I I happen to be the state rep for the USS. So I hold two shows a year here under the USS. And then a good friend of mine, Corey, is the NAS rep. So he holds shows here at my gym as well. Uh, it's our sixth one together. And um, I actually decided to jump in and compete in this one because a bunch of buddies from the gym were doing it and the events looked great. So we ended up having that here. We had um, we originally had seven heavyweights competing, but it ended up dwindling down to four due to some uh, injuries, due, due to some injuries, people pulling out, one of which happened uh, right here. Uh, a buddy of mine was um, submitting his overhead press for the OSG qualifier. You must have some guys out there submitting videos for the OSG. Yeah. And he's a very prolific overhead presser, uh, my buddy, Nick Sassente. And he hit 465 on a jerk very convincingly. I mean, he weighs probably 260, 270. So right. those of you that lift weights, I mean... Anyone overhead pressing mid fours is fucking world class, but this kid's like 260. And he's like, I think I'm going to go for five. And we're all like, you should, because, you know, it floated. And he put five on the bar and he dipped and went to press it. And both of his legs just exploded. His, his right knee, his, his right knee broke. And then the left one shortly after. So he had to get him taken out of here and he had to get uh, surgery on both knees. So we ended up actually using... The, the competition as kind of a hub to raise some money. So all the profits went to him. We started a GoFundMe. People were sending me Venmos. So we're already at like a little over 7,500 bucks. Right. To, to raise for him just during his recovery. He's a full-time truck driver. So that was just heartbreaking to see. So we were able to raise some money for him, which is great. And I, I think that's worth mentioning as we speak about uh, strong man and the strength community as a whole, you know, no, no, not, not all people know this guy from here. You know, but um, myself, uh, a good friend of mine, Nico, Corey, who put on the show, and and Tom, we all came together. We said, we got to help this guy out. And we put it out there, and everybody contributed, just like that. You know, it says a lot about the community. I'm sure you um, have experienced that yourself. Just a very supportive, cohesive uh, community that I'm very, I feel very fortunate to be a part of and uh, facilitate here in my gym. Yeah, definitely. There's especially from coming uh, from a, a team sport background, playing rugby to then get involved in, you know, powerlifting and, and strongman. Um, it's something that uh, is, is awesome to see the community side, side of things, because, you know, we don't all get paid to, to do, to compete in strongman or powerlifting. Yes, there might be prize money or, or anything like that, but, you know, like what you mentioned there, you know, a full-time truck driver, you know, it's going to be however long it's off work. So the fact that straight away people came around um, to support him is awesome. I know, you know, looking at the 
Um, there was a couple of injuries. I saw a couple of people pull out of sort of world's strongest man for injuries and and that sort of stuff. And people people have come round, which is um, which which is awesome to see. So hopefully, you know, his recovery will will, will go well. Because um, yeah, injuries like that, you you don't really yeah you don't want to see that. I was once it, and um, I went to go watch Britain's um, strongest man, and uh, unfortunately, I can't remember the 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 guy's name, um, which is which is annoying. Um, but he was doing the Atlas stones, and the, he missed um, putting the stone on, and then it fell back onto it onto his knee, um, which is just like accidents like that, and the amount of times that you know you do it in training and everything goes well, you know, it's just those just those fine uh, just those fine margins. Um, there's risk associated with what we do, you know, and we all accept that. And we do our best, hopefully, the, the, the most of us do our best to, you know, take precautions to mitigate those risks. But accidents can happen, um, especially with this specific scenario. You know, there, there were very few warning signs and, and it just happened. And, and it's devastating. It's devastating to see. So I think it's important that we all come together and, and help, you know, help, help our friends, help our brothers and sisters, you know, when they're in a, in, in, you know, in, in a tough time, you know, because it's a community oriented thing. Um, especially what I, what I've, because I've competed in powerlifting. I, I played football as well. I did track and field throughout um, high school and college, and then you know I, I got into lifting weights obviously around that time, and I, I've been doing it for 22 years now, which is crazy to think. I started when I was 13. I'm 35 now, and when I started competing in in, in CrossFit and powerlifting, what really separates strongman from those other two, and not to say that people don't support each other, but as you know, in, in those other two um, facets of, of competition, but in strongman, I can, I can genuinely say that everybody wants to see everybody just do well, even if it's at the expense of, of, of losing themselves. I, I can speak upon that one of one of my first competitions. It actually was my first competition, New York strongest man in 2017. Um, it, it was really down to me and one other guy. And um, he and I were going back and forth all day. And the final event was a was a Max Stone, and um, like I said, it was really down to me and this one other guy. And I I was new. I didn't have any wraps. I don't use wraps now. I just use my bare arm. But at the time, he recommended. He's like, hey, try. He he was a farmer from up in Maine, a couple states north of here, and he was like, try this horse wrap. So he he, he wrapped my forearms, tacked me up, and he wanted to see me hit the four hundred stone because that would have been that 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 was a New York record. And again, this isn't a friend. This isn't a coach. This isn't some other competitor. This is literally the other the other competitor that I was going back and forth with for the win. And he took the time to wrap my forearms and set me up to hit that stone. And I did, thanks to his help. And he actually missed it and, and gave me the win. So I think that speaks volumes about the, the community and the culture of this sport where, you know, there are there are risks involved, like I said, and we all just genuinely want to see each other do epic shit, even if it comes at the cost of potentially losing. You know, we just want to see everybody do well. And um, I think that's very, very special and, and hard to find elsewhere in, in, in a competitive environment. Yeah, definitely. I think that line there, everyone wants to see people do epic shit, is the, is the, is the tagline because... Uh, that's what people that's what people want to see that's why you know i remember growing up watching strongman as a kid when it's when it's on around christmas and you want to see people do these things and even in even in you see them interacting they're all boys they're all yeah. boys you know there's a little there there are riffs here and there and a lot of it is probably just for show but you can see them they're all there competing against each other but but together there's a sense of togetherness and cohesiveness 
And um, I think it's just because of the nature of the sport, you know, we're picking up stones and, and pulling trucks and picking up odd apparatus and hitting massive deadlifts. And we just want to see, we just want to see everyone do epic shit. And I think that's really special. And I, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful and fortunate to be a part of it and to be able to facilitate others that may have started here in my gym, just as a general population guy or girl looking to get stronger and feel better. And they see us screwing around with the implements and they're like, Hey, can I try that stuff? And I mean, dozens of people have, have joined and, 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 and worked strongman and, and, and strength sports into their training. And many of them compete with me now. And it's, it's, it's just such a special thing to be able to offer people. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, so I, I did a, a brief introduction, but you, you've touched on there about your, your first um, competition, getting involved in strongman, um, powerlifting, uh, but also, you know, your gym and coaching. For everyone listening who might not know your background uh, in strength sports and coaching, um, do you just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I started lifting weights when I was young. young. I, was, I was 13 years old. And I started, I started lifting weights really because the girl I had a crush on called me Titty Boy at a pool party. And I wasn't really <laughs> upset. I mean, I was a little embarrassed because it was in front of everybody, but I kind of felt more informed than anything. You know, as a young kid, you're growing up, I was going through puberty, my body was changing. And I definitely didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, but that was kind of like an aha moment for me. Like, you know, yeah, I kind of, I kind of do have boobs and I am chubby <laughs> and I do feel like shit. I'm going to start lifting weights. So fast forward a few years, I, I got very involved in the gym and I just really enjoyed, I just really loved the way that I felt when I lifted weights and I hated the way that I felt when I didn't, if that makes sense. You know, the, the two or three hours I was training and the couple hours after I felt good. I liked feeling tight and pumped up and then that would go away and I couldn't wait to do it again the next day. And that really kind of kept me in the gym, honestly, for the first eight to 10 years, just, just chasing that feeling. Um, I, I, I got into a pretty serious head-on collision coming home from work. I fell asleep at the wheel. I was, I was sick. I probably shouldn't have been working, but I was doing construction. I went into the lane and I hit a kid coming the other way. He was fine. Luckily, he had a, he had a newer model car with an airbag. I had an older truck and I was crushed. I shattered my jaw, broke both arms, broke both legs, um, lost. You know, I, I was, I'm six foot five. I was probably 230 at the time of the accident. And when I got my, my cast off and my jaw unwired, I was, I was around 150 pounds. So six, five, wow. 150, if you can imagine what that looks like. And I just, you know, I was young and I didn't really know what the next step was, but I knew I, I wanted to feel good again. So I started training. Um, I ended up going to Bridgewater State uh, University now, and I ended up getting back in shape. And I walked on my sophomore year, played, was fortunate to play defensive end there for, for four years. And then I started um, working as a trainer. Um, I started at a commercial gym. I was there for four years, went to an, another commercial gym that opened up uh, locally, and then eventually went on my own um, and opened the Top Strength Project. It's, it's uh, six and a half years now. My first location was kind of a smaller studio, and it was just myself, a few other trainers and our clients, a small membership. And that's when I got involved in, in, in competing in strength sports. It was never... It was never a goal of mine or anything I wanted to do, but what ended up happening is a few clients and members had an interest in competing in powerlifting. So I was like, fuck it, well, let's do it. So I did it too. And I ended up winning the first meet. This is um, probably five and a half years ago. And I ended up um, winning, 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 winning my class. Um, that particular competition had geared lifters though, guys in suits. 
So I wasn't able to win the overall because for whatever reason, it, it was, there was only one overall winner. So obviously right. the guys squatting and benching in suits put up a bigger total. So I didn't win the overall, but my second and third, uh, I did. And, and I just continued to, like I said, I guess I'm a powerlifter now. So I continued to compete in powerlifting. And then shortly after, uh, a trainer that was working with me at my gym was a competitive strongman. And he said, I want to do New York's strongest man. Would you be interested in sponsoring me? Can I wear a shirt? Whatever. I said, I'll do it with you. And I went to New York and I, I won New York. And then um, I ended up going to nationals that year. And I was, I was on pace to win, to be honest. The second to last event was a sandbag carry. And I had a fall as I crossed the finish line. I landed on this arm. It was a 300 pound sandbag and um, I didn't realize it, but I, I had, I had crushed my arm. I had broken my electron clean through and I was tied for second at the time. And we went into the stone. It was a 365 AMRAP over bar and um, very strong event for me. I hit five or six reps in training and I was in the back of the pack and I was watching all the other competitors. There was 60 in my class. People are zeroing, getting one, two, three reps. I'm like, I'm going to fucking take this thing, you know? <laughs> But I reached down to grab the stone and I had nothing in my arm. So I ended up going home, getting an x-ray and it was completely broken. So I had 10 screws and two plates put in. This is uh, five and a half years ago. And to be honest, my arm's never been the same. Um, right. I've had multiple surgeries, tricep reattachment, prolotherapy, PRP. I've used peptides, countless hours of PT and my tricep still just doesn't fire. So it dramatically affects my ability to press Overhead press, especially, but bench press as well. But I've continued to compete, and um, I've, I've won just about every show I've done, every power of the meet and every strongman show. Um, and in strongman, I tend to have to zero the overhead event, depending on what it is. But if I win all the other events, it's enough to win. And I've won yeah. probably 15 competitions since local state shows. Um, same thing with powerlifting. You know, my, my legs are strong enough that I'm able to put up enough of a total with a with a subpar bench to still pull off a win. Um, and I went back to compete at nationals uh, three weeks ago and I was going to win. It was definitely my show to win, but I ended up having some trouble with this arm uh, for the overhead event. And it actually went numb on me. I couldn't feel that it was numb because of the nerve damage that I'm dealing with, but it was numb. And I went to press the overhead implement and I had no use of my left arm. I won all four other events but it wasn't enough to make it for the points I lost um, in the overhead. And I ended up taking third overall and I had a full blown adult temper tantrum. I'm still not over it. I'm fucking furious. Um, so I'm in the process of getting this, getting this fixed. I, I, I had an MRI on my neck and it turns out I have some compressed vertebrae in my neck that are responsible for um, the nerve in this arm that controls the tricep the brachialis right. and the deltoid. So I'm in the process of figuring that out and trying to get that fixed. Um, but it's, it's been a great ride. Um, I'm, I'm, I never had intentions of opening a gym, but I was encouraged to do so six and a half years ago when I did. Um, I expanded to a 10,000 square foot facility three and a half years ago and it's just been, it's been great. And it's, it was never the plan. It's been a day by day kind of organic process and it's become something uh, really special to me and a lot of other people and um it's, it's just been it's just been quite 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 a process quite a journey and I, I'm, I'm very grateful to be where i am today be able to do things like this i started my own podcast recently that airs uh the first episode drops on the first and just continuing to compete train clients grow the culture here and um yeah that that's kind of the jam
Oh, cool. I always like I always like to ask that question because it's um, you know everyone gets involved in training for um, a variety of reasons, but they stick at it because they they enjoy it. They want to you know that's the whole reason why you know um, starting out playing rugby. I always got told I needed to put more size on. Look at that now, and I compete in the under one twenty class in in powerlifting. So I think I managed to put a bit of, a, a, a bit of weight on. But you know you keep enjoying uh, you keep enjoying it, and like what we mentioned at the start, the community side of things and. Um, I think it's pretty cool that the fact that you've had a, a, an injury to your arm and still being able to compete but also win is is cool and um, you know it's it's interesting that you know I've tried quite a lot of things um, and hopefully you know get to the get to the bottom and, and see some see some progress in there because if you're you know uh, winning um, with that injury you know there's uh, there's a lot more there if that's if, if that gets sorted the, the the other question that I always like to ask because especially with the competitions that you've done and you can see that you that you enjoy you know strength sports who have been your um biggest influences uh, on your training or, or or coaching because you see you know the lifts that you do and it's kind of like okay well who do you look look at in terms of oh, okay that's pretty cool what what can i learn from this or that's pretty cool you know who who are your biggest influences would you say this is a question I get asked every time I do one of these. My answer sucks. I, I don't have anybody that really sticks <laughs> out. Um, and one of the first podcasts I did, there, there, it was actually with Tony, Tony and Greg. And their response to that was like, well, that, that's great. You know, you kind of made your own way and, and kind of developed your own craft, which, which I think is good. But I also wonder if I had a mentor or, you know, a handful of guys that I may have looked up to um in the onset maybe i could have made more process and been guided and perhaps be further than i am today if i did have something like that but i can say that when, when i first started competing and I, I i started seeking some some coaching um one of the first coaches i hired was brandon allen out of las vegas a very prolific powerlifter but also dallas and strongman i worked with him for a little over a year and I learned a tremendous amount from him in reference to programming and progressive overload and different applications of it. Um, a lot of which I, I still use today in my own training with my clients. Um, I also have been very fortunate here to work with great coaches. You know, it, it's a shared space. It's a collaborative. Um, I'm surrounded by phenomenal resources. Um, one of which was, was John Amore, who trained at my last location. He had a huge influence on me. I learned a ton from him. And then Ben Trebelli, a powerlifter here, um, he's very much responsible for bringing my deadlift from kind of a hingy, very extended pattern. Um, I had the state record at the time at 733, and I ended up getting injured, and I started working with him. And within six months, I went from a 733 grind that stole my soul in six months to an 800 double, just based upon his technique and, and programming adjustments. Uh, since then, I've been fortunate enough to, to, to work with Matt Wenning. I had him out here for, for a weekend seminar, which was great. So I learned his kind of application and processes of the conjugate method, which was, which was great. And I implement some of those um, processes and, and techniques into my training and my client training as well. I'm also very close with Stan Efforting, who, I'm, who you had on, right? I mean, he's just... Yeah. He's just a fucking pioneer, that guy, you know, and, and also for somebody who's so busy and has such a full plate, I get texts from him sometimes on a weekly or monthly basis, just checking in, saying what's up, seeing how things are going. 
If I ever need him, I shoot him a text, gets right back to me. Just such a humble guy and such a wealth of knowledge. Um, and what I like about all the people I just mentioned is they walk the walk, they, they talk the talk, but they also walk the walk, which I can really appreciate. You know, I've been around a lot of um, exercise physiologists who, who claim to know all the ins and outs of training and adaptation and all that. But you know what? They don't know what this shit feels like. And I really love working with guys that do both. Uh, Pat Davidson is another one who I think was a guest on your show. Yeah. Um, he and I are, are, are close as well. He's been a great resource. And I recently uh, worked for a couple months with Josh Bryant uh, of Jailhouse Strong, yeah. who, um, who was also great. You know, I, I loved a lot of the tact and principles and approaches he had to training, um, which, which is just great to, to learn and implement into my own programming as well. So it's really just about you know, always being a student of this, of this practice. Um, the, the more that I, I feel that I think I know, the more I realize I don't. And there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of di different ways to apply it and manipulate it and being fortunate enough to have a facility to fly people out um, and also to be able to travel and connect with these, with these brains and bronze of the industry has, has served me uh, very, very well. And it's, it's something I plan to do for forever, you know, just constantly yeah. trying to grow and learn um, from, from, from the strongest in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. I can co completely buy into it because a couple of names that you've mentioned there on a, to be honest with you, on, on a real selfish note, the reason why I want to speak, speak to people such as yourself, you know, and the, and the other people that you've mentioned there, number one, I think, you know, especially to the, to the listeners who have an interest in strength, you know, this podcast started out that, you know, clients were asking me, questions and then it got to a point where I didn't feel as though I had enough um knowledge to give them a good enough answer I'm, I wanted to go and you know seek the answers from people who are more experienced who have been there been there and done it and you know the people that you've mentioned and yourself you know have been in the trenches competed but then also done that with, with clients as well and I think that speaks a lot more rather than saying yeah do this all right so have you done that before oh no it'd be like me coaching tennis and I've never I've never done I've never done tennis before I could probably tell people to yeah just whack the ball over the net but you know there's, there's more to it and especially one thing that you said there is you know um they don't know what it feels like to be underneath the bar to have a you know a, a grinder on the uh, on the deadlift and there's kind of um two things uh two things that i wanted to ask uh, from from what you've mentioned there you've mentioned about the programming and what you've learned from um do you incorporate sort of the powerlifting and strongman together or do you go through powerlifting or have you been through powerlifting and strongman sort of phases of training and in terms of you know the um you've obviously competed yourself like you mentioned a couple of times clients wanted to compete oh, i'll do it with you do you think that has or how do you think that has impacted on your coaching by you know leading by example so hopefully that makes sense two questions there <laughs> it does so let's answer the the, the 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 second one first i think the biggest thing with with coaching and programming and and as and as a client it's it's buy-in you know, if you ask me, everything works. It all works, okay? Especially if you're just getting started. It's only when you're top five, top 10% in the, I don't want to say in the world, because in the world, it's really the top 0.5%. But in the gym community, in the gym culture, in, in the competitive realm, unless you're top 10% in the world, you don't really have to be that concise and that super specific in my opinion everything works as long as you're able to get the individual to comply 
and buy in and follow what you ask them to do to the number so you can then take feedback and make adjustments. Um, so I, I definitely would say that when I work with somebody, they, they know that I would never ask them or recommend them do something that I haven't done myself or I'm not currently doing at that time. Um, and something you said earlier that I really liked is that you said when people asked you about X, Y, and Z, you were okay to say, I don't know, let me figure it out. That's, a, that's the most important characteristic of a coach or a professional in this industry to have is to be able to say, I don't know, and, and, and communicate and say that I'm learning right along with you, you know, and being able to go out. It, take, it, it takes a, a certain level of humility and self-awareness to be able to do that. And I commend you for having that, um, that gauge and that perspective, because the moment you think you know everything or try and pretend that you do, that's the moment you stop growing and stop learning and stop being relevant. So I, I applaud you and I appreciate you for that, that approach, because I, I, I really try and have the same. In reference to how I structure my own training and, and really everyone else's training in reference to powerlifting versus strongman or really powerlifting with strongman is for me, the baseline foundation is always going to be the barbell lifts, the squat, the overhead press, the deadlift, um, and, 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 the, and, the, and the horizontal press or the bench press. Those are always going to be the staples year round. Um, and when I approach a strongman competition, I'll initially, let's say 12 to 16 weeks out, I'll work in the implements kind of towards the end of training um, just to get some touches and, uh, and, and get some kind of submaximal pre-fatigued work in, in, the, in the implements, in the, in the events. And the reason why I have that approach is because I don't, if I improve my squat and my deadlift and my ability to press with a barbell, those are going to make my implement and event work better. It's going to improve those things, you know, improving my squat is going to make everything better, you know, stones, carries, lifts, you know, having a sound squat that always takes the priority and that always is, is at the helm of your training is going to bring everything up. Obviously deadlifting, very important and strongman um, and variations of, but the traditional from the floor, deadlift bar with, with, with regular plates is always going to be the staple. If I'm approaching an event and I have, say, an axle at 13 inches, my deadlift is still going to be the 8-inch deadlift from the floor. Is it 8 inches? It's 8 inches. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll treat the, um, the variation, the axle from 13, as, as my secondary lift. That would be like my B lift or maybe my if I deadlift twice a week, that would be my second day. Um, the traditional compound lifts always reign supreme in my training. And then as I get closer and closer to the strongman event or, or competition, maybe those lifts, those event lifts will creep their way up in, as far as on the training days. So maybe if I have a, a yoke carry, that would be at the end of my squat day. But maybe as I get closer to competition, depending on where I am relative to the demands of the competition, I'll move the yoke up and I'll squat first and then do my yoke carry. Um, my stone or loading event, I'll usually do that on my, on my hinge day or my deadlift day. So... In the onset, it would be deadlifts first, loading event last. But as I get closer and closer to the competition, the loading event will be kind of closer, maybe my second or third lift of the day. D depending, you know, if, if I'm yeah. not close or comfortable with comp weight, maybe I'll, maybe I'll you know, get a bit more work. But if I'm there and, and, and I have, I have the, 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 the strength, the demands of, of the specific event, maybe I'll keep it at the end of the workout because that's, 
even more sports specific because as you know, the stones is usually the last event of the day. Yeah. But basically in short, the, the compound lifts, the barbell lifts always reign supreme. They're always the foundation year round, regardless. Even if I don't have a squat coming up in a strongman show, I'm still squatting all the way up to the competition. And, and I, I use those to build the implement, um, the implement lifts. Um, because I don't, I don't believe that the inverse is true. I don't think if I prioritize stones, um, odd implement lifts, loading, those won't make my compound lifts better. Um, so I, I, I find that really prioritizing those compound lifts builds a better system and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a more well-rounded, capable athlete. So those usually tend to take priority. And I also usually will compete. I'll usually do a strongman and a powerlifting meet kind of simultaneously, maybe like two weeks or a month apart because strength is strength, strong is strong. And if I'm peaked, I may as well get a couple of competitions in before I go into an off season. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, one thing that um, uh, that, you, that you said at the end there that, you know, the barbell lifts will complement the uh, strongman training, but not necessarily, you know, just doing uh, strongman training will complement, you know, that's your foundation, you know, bigger squat, bigger deadlift, that's going to have a carryover into, into other into other things. Um, do you think that from that, um, was that uh, uh, refining that over um, over time, you know, to settle on something that's um, right. Okay. So now I know where I can, you know, add that in, like what you said about getting cl closer to an event. Um, Cause obviously starting with powerlifting, um, that was sort of the, uh, the entry point for people who general population just want to get stronger. The entry point is, yeah, if you can squat, this, this is what, this is what we're going to build from. And then obviously now strongman, like I know in Leeds, there's um, the access to strongman kit and training is really easy. There's a lot, a lot more gym, a lot more gyms doing that. Um, do you think, you know, uh, for yourself, was that a process of refining that over time, settle on something that you felt um, was, uh, was beneficial and then the second part, I'm doing two parts all, all the time here. Um, the, the second part is, um, do you think the entry point now, people are making that decision between powerlifting or strongman, whereas actually they could probably do both because that entry point to do strength training is a lot easier now because there's more access to it. And also there, there are no requisite numbers you need to have to, to do powerlifting. Yeah. It's just your lifts. You know, you can squat 50, you can squat a thousand, whatever. But when you do a strongman competition, it's this implement, this weight. So there's a, there's a cost or a price of entry, right? So again, because of the availability of equipment, but also just the way that the body adapts, you know, if, if you focus upon the compound lifts and the barbell lifts, they will bring everything else up without a doubt. Um, and as far as how much you need to frequently work on those, on those, event lifts is dependent upon where your strength falls relative to the demands of the competition. Yeah, definitely. With the, because you, you mentioned a couple of times as well about, you know, uh, injuries and there's sometimes, or what your thoughts are, sometimes people are doing powerlifting think, oh, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do strongman. There's too much movement. There's too many things that might go wrong. Whereas, you know, squat and squat bench and deadlift, everything is up and down. Whereas actually, I know obviously you've had, um, uh, you've mentioned a couple of injuries that you've, that you've had there, but you've also mentioned about, you know, a complete athlete, you know, that you, you can do different movement patterns and uh, become more athletic because people forget that strongman isn't just like powerlifting where it's a one rep max, you're doing carrying events, which 
there needs to be some sort of athleticness in that. What are your kind of thoughts when when people mention that about? Oh no, I don't want to do strongman because there's too much variability. Whereas actually, you know, ridiculous. can it be <laughs> Why do we get involved in training and, and lifting weights? It's it's to eliminate limitations, not create new ones. You want you want to you want to create a more capable. You want to be a more capable human, right? A more capable organism. That's why we're strength training. So this whole idea to be tunnel vision and be like, oh, well, I'm a power lifter. I don't need to do sets of five, eight, 10, and 20 because I'm just going for a one rep max. Get the fuck out of here, man. You got to have volume. You, you, need, you need time under tension. You have to do the accessory lifts, the remedial lifts, um, the, the machine work to, to build some muscle, to facilitate some lean tissue growth that you can then apply to, to the strength sports. Being a, a holistic athlete, I think, not only raises your ceiling, but also dramatically decreases the chances of injury. And it just makes you a more capable person. It, it's, it's, you know, it's just laziness. It's just laziness. You know, people come in, they just want to squat bench, deadlift and go home. It's like, what about everything else? You know, <laughs> what about everything else? You know, and also um, maintaining a, a, a lean body composition so that, you know, fat isn't contractile tissue, you know, muscle is contractile tissue. So feeding yourself and being disciplined with, with your nutrition in, 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 in addition to your training, you know, they, 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 they serve each other, you know, why, why leave all these potential gains off the table? Because you just want to improve your squat, bench and deadlift. When actually, if you, if you eat in a manner that facilitates your training and fuels your training and, and, and facilitates your recovery and also being well-rounded and being able to jump, run, move, carry, it's only going to increase your ceiling for those compound competitive lifts. And, and in my case, I can tell you definitively all the injuries I've had and aches and pains that I deal with. If I didn't, my, my volume work, my hypertrophy work, it's, it's to build muscle, but it's also to create circulation and, and almost facilitate recovery so that my joints and my muscles and, and, and all my soft tissue feels as good as it can feel. I, I don't think anyone that's squatting 800 and deadlift to 900 is going to have pain-free knees and, and, and a pain-free back. It just kind of comes with the territory. But I can tell you, if, if I didn't do all the other things that I did in reference to my volume training and the way that I feed myself, I wouldn't be able to squat, press and deadlift the way that I do it. It just wouldn't be there. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that you said there is, you know, doing all the, all the other things that you, that you want to, that um, you should be doing because, you know, the, um, obviously uh, I know I'm touching on powerlifting that's quite specific. You know, the, the training is what the, what the competition is going to be. Whereas, you know, you need to be a human and do all of these, all of these different, you know, movements rather than being, you know, just fixated, uh, just fixated on those, on those certain movements. Um, in terms of when it if comes you mind, to, if you don't mind me saying, I'll make one more point. Yeah. That's probably, that's one of my biggest gripes with powerlifting is as a whole is that because it's so specific and you're, control, you're in control of every variable. You know the barbell you're using. You're, you know the gear you're allowed to use. Um, and you know the rules. What ends up happening with, in powerlifting as a whole is that people start to lean more towards leverage advantages and, and you know these really wide sumo stance deadlifts and these ridiculous wide grip benches with obnoxious arches and wide stance squatting. It's like, whatever happened to muscular development? 
you know, whatever happened to being able to move in a way that you're athletic and, and authentically strong everywhere, not just strong in these really, you know, wide stance, wide grip, you know, lowering the range of motion to increase how much weight you can put on the bar. I mean, I understand that you want to lift as much weight as possible in powerlifting, but, you know, I'm 6'5". I have a pretty shallow stance, you know, shoulder width apart squat. I deadlift conventionally. I'll never compete in sumo ever. And I have, you know, a normal bench press, a normal arch. And you look at people like John Hack and Kevin Oak, who are some of the best in the world. You know, John Hack has a high bar, vertical position, knee over toe squat. That is authentic strength everywhere. He's got a flat, almost close grip bench, and he's got a normal conventional deadlift. And, and that is truly true, authentic strength. And you know what? He, he doesn't get injured a whole lot because he's going through full ranges. And he and I believe he prioritizes that. And that builds a more resilient, uh, a more resilient system, a more resilient organism. Do you think from from what you've mentioned about there, especially when you go to the extremes of, you know, crazy arches, crazy wide stances, just going back to when we said about, you know, leading by example, by having, you know, um, not giving people something that you either don't know or haven't or haven't tried yourself. Do you think sometimes uh, in some uh, corners of the of the coaching world that by um, them seeing other people do those extremes that they're um, giving unrealistic expectations to people who are just coming in who just want to get stronger rather than being, look, let's work on this, let's stay with this stance and let's just put some muscle mass on. Let's just, you know, go, let's go through this as a process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's communicating that, you know, that's not you, that's them. And also just realizing that in, in the process of preparation for a competition, there should be a um, postseason, preseason, in-season, off-season approach. And it's so important to work in other variables and other versions of these compound lifts to improve and increase your movement variability to, again, increase your ceiling and decrease the chances of injury. Um, so in, in the Aussie, so right now, so I just finished competing. Um, I'm a low bar, high heel elevated squatter. Um, and now I, I'm doing front squats, flat heel. It's very, very challenging. It's very, very humbling. I can't move as much weight with those movements as I can in, in the hingy low bar, but it's gonna serve, it's gonna serve me, you know, prioritizing these squattier flat shoe uh, patterns is going to improve my ability to do the, the low bar hingy patterns. The, the opposite isn't true. If I just squat low bar year round, it may only improve my low bar, but that comes at a cost. If I'm, if I'm training the same patterns over and over and over again, that's where you get overuse issues, compensatory issues, chronic pain, chronic injuries. So cycling in um, other lifts, especially during the off season uh, piece of your programming is gonna serve you long-term. Um, so just constantly throwing in variables, you know, be, being so sport specific, I think isn't, isn't the show. I think it's important to be a little more dynamic and work in other lifts to again, create more movement variability and, um, and just create a more sound dynamic uh, system. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned there about the the different phases of training because, you know, it can be really specific. Whereas if you're, I don't know, six months out from a competition, you know, there's no reason why you can't have a bit more 
variety in, in in training because then that way it makes it a little bit more enjoyable adds in some different movement patterns rather than you know that that thought process of um uh, too much variety but it doesn't have to be you know it as long as it's variety for variety sake if that if that kind of makes sense yeah you know if implementing variety is, is going to help just make you more dynamic and less susceptible to injury i mean think of it this way this is a pretty decent way to to, uh, to kind of conceptualize what we're talking about if you look at like a cable machine the cable wears and wears and eventually breaks and what you notice is that cable does a specific job right it's the same movement over and over again and when you notice that cable wears and wears and wears and eventually breaks it's at it's at one spot the rest of the cable looks brand new so to, to, to apply that concept to your ligaments, tendons, joints, and muscles, if you're doing the same pattern over and over again, it's going to apply stresses and damage to the same spot over and over and over again. And that's where these chronic pain and chronic issues come up. So I can tell you if my knees are bothering me and I offer myself some variety or my back's bothering me, if I, rather than doing low bar, low bar, if I get under an SSB or if I do a high heel elevated goblet squat and create a more neutral position, and it's still a squat, it's still improving my ability to squat, but it's, it's distributing the force and the stress over the tissues in a different pattern in a different, in a different way. And that allows me to adapt and become more resilient and, and fortify my joints and fortify my ligaments and tendons. So that when I go back to the competition specific lift, that chronic pain should be gone or at least mitigated so that I can then progress, right? And build. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, I'm a big fan of an analogy and uh, I quite like, I quite like that uh, cable one. Well, so it's pretty sensible, it. right? <laughs> yeah. Like if, if I have pain in my elbow right here, right? And I'm bench pressing. Let's say if my, and it's obviously not going to be the exact same. We're not robots, but my bench press is my bench press. And that's applying, and, oh, when I bench, it hurts my elbow. Well, what if I were to add a small incline or a decline or maybe go to a neutral press? And now all of a sudden, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a physicist, but I can assume <laughs> all of a sudden this doesn't really bother me anymore. I'm still doing elbow flexion and extension. I'm still flexing and contracting those muscles, but it doesn't bother the tendon anymore. That's because that load and the stress of the pattern is going to be distributed over that soft tissue differently. And it's going to give the weaker part, or for whatever reason I have that pain, a chance to adapt and be it recover um, while I stress other tissues, and that will and that will bring it up. You know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So it's so important to try and address and bring those weaker links up to bring the entire lift up. If, if, you, if, you, if you improve a piece of a, of a movement, you're gonna improve the whole. Yeah, definitely. And when when you mentioned there about, you know, changing, you know, using the example of the bench press, changing it around, you're still training strength, you're still getting stronger rather than, you know, that analogy of the cable machine, you know, just keep uh, flogging a dead horse and then, you know, actually causing more harm than good. Do you think from a, a powerlifter's perspective, um, because I know, obviously, um, so uh, what was going through my head then was um, I actually uh, was able to host a seminar a couple of years ago with Brian Shaw, came over to Leeds and, and did a seminar. And he was talking about this is the um, equipment that I use and work around. So he's still training strength, but just making sure that he's going to injure himself. Do you think, you know, 
where powerlifters differ to maybe strongmen is that there's maybe a fear of moving too far away from the competition lifts because it's only those competition lifts Always. that matter yeah. coming to competition. Yeah. I do. I do think that very, very much. And even strongmen can be guilty of it where um, it's like, oh, they have a circus dumbbell coming up. So they just train circus dumbbell. You know, it's my approach that, that the mainstay is, you know, you have to build horsepower. You have to build your system to be strong. So still the, the, um, the bilateral coordination of the overhead press is going to be the baseline. And then you can get into the more technique oriented specificity of the demands of the competition and do circus dumbbell. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to eliminate my base foundation um, just to try and improve upon something that has a little more specificity to it. The, the baseline stuff still has to be there. Yeah, definitely. Do you think um, when, uh, you know, you're doing, uh, or from your training, um, you know, doing both at the same time, is there anything where, because we've said about, you know, the positive of it, being able to incorporate both at, at the same time, is there any time or have you had it in the past, had anything where um, they've conflicted against each other and worked each other? Have you ever got it wrong where you kind of go too far towards the strongman side of things or it actually starts impacting your performance? Is that, is that Has that ever happened or anything? Well, personally, because of the issues with my upper body, with, with this arm, um, it's kind of a pro and a con. I, I lean more towards frequency to improve the skill. So um, if I'm able to press four times a week, um, I think that's the best way to improve my press is, is having, you know, three submaximal days and one maximal day. But now when we're talking about prepping for both strongmen and powerlifting, I need to press vertical or press horizontal and I have to press vertical as well. Right. So if I have four press days a week, how am I going to divide that amongst those two demands? So usually I'll kind of favor one. So, um, and it usually tends to be overhead if I'm prepping for strongman because that's much more challenging for me, but it's more challenging because I'm weaker, but where I'm weaker, it's also less costly. Right. So I can, I, I can overhead press very, very frequently because it's so pathetic and weak. It doesn't cause a lot of fatigue to recover from. So that's kind of one of the challenges is basically you have to choose one and prioritize one. I could go two and two, but maybe three and one, be it three bench days, one overhead or one overhead, three bench. Um, so kind of manipulating the frequency and appropriating that based upon the demands. Um, you know, bench press is always bench press, but if I have, you know, an implement or an event, that I need, I need a lot of practice to improve to get to comp weight. I may have to favor overhead at the cost of developing my bench press to what it potentially could be if I was just prepping for a powerlifting meet. And then overall, I mean, sure, if I was just doing a powerlifting prep, would I would I be able to put put up a bigger total if I wasn't training for both simultaneously? Absolutely, most likely. Same thing if I was just prepping for strongman. Um, would I would I be able to perform better um, in, in the strongman competition? Yeah, most likely. But the thing is, is with powerlifting, I want to hit as much weight as possible, right? Um, to, to beat my previous total and also beat everyone else that's there as much weight as possible. In strongman, I just have to do enough to win the event, yeah. you know? So if I want to get that 500 bench, that's going to take a lot to get there where I just have to be able to do X amount of reps with this, with this overhead lift to get enough to get the points in first, in first place. So that's kind of another thing to take into consideration too, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're planning out your training, if I'm very proficient in an event 
and I'm confident I have what I need for the win, maybe I won't train it as much. Maybe I don't need to. And then that opens up more space to focus upon the things that I feel like I do need to improve upon to be able to be competitive and get the points. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite things about strongman is that it's five events or six events and every event is just as valuable. Every event's worth the same points, you know? And it's funny because I, I was guilty of not working my grip and not working my carries as much as my static lifts because the static lifts are more epic. You know, I want to hit that big deadlift. I want to hit that big stone. I want to hit that big press. But you know what? First place in a deadlift pulling 900 pounds is just as much points as a max farmer's hold. It's the same points. They have the same value, even though you could argue that the, the deadlift is bigger and more epic and, and much more costly and much more challenging, perhaps a, a, a much greater example and display of true strength. It's not more valuable when it comes to points than a grip or a hold or, or a sprint, you know? So it's important to prioritize everything and make sure that you're in a position to get as much more as as much points as possible in all the events. You can't be a one trick pony because you're not, you're not going to be able to pull it off. You have to be, be well-rounded and sound everywhere. Yeah, definitely. There were some really good points in there. And as you were talking, you could see that you were kind of thinking about lessons that you'd learned from, you know, all the, the, the same points apply to um, uh, strongman in powerlifting. You know, if you were more spe more specific, right, then you're going to be able to put more focus on, you know, squat, bench or deadlift. From, from there, uh, in terms of, um, you know, lessons learned through strength, if you like, and getting stronger, do you think, you know, a lot more of the lessons and the, the progress that you've been able to make or being able to make have been through, the training that you've, you know, um, trialed and errored with or from actually competing and a little bit like the guy that you mentioned, you know, who was saying, right, we'll wrap your arms. This is how we can do, do the stone. Where do you think your biggest lessons, lessons have, be, have been learned through, through strength, the training side of things or the, or the competition or both? Definitely all of the above. I would say that if I were to make a pie wheel of like everything that contributes to me as an athlete and as a coach, what, what fills the majority of that pie with at least two thirds of it is, is through my own training, you know? So like what, what, what makes me effective if I, if I can be considered effective as a coach is that I've been there. I know what it feels like, you know? So when someone's like, Hey, this is bothering me. I know what they're talking about. You know, I'm not a big reader. I'm not a big research guy, but I know what this feels like and I know what's probably contributing and causing it. And I can give you something to, to remedy it. So really, the, the seat time and the hours and hours, I mean, the tens of thousands of hours that I've accumulated under the bar is definitely where the, the vast majority of my, of my learning has, has, has come from. I mean, I have a degree in exercise physiology from Bridgewater State. I'm not gonna say that it's useless. Um, you know, I definitely pull from some of that knowledge in, in the back of my mind, but it's really the experience and, and the time that I've spent training myself that serves me um, to be able to help and communicate this to others, because that's a very important aspect too, is actually being, being able to communicate what you know or what you think you know. Let's say if in this hand you have this guy who's very, very well educated and knows literally everything there is to know about training and adaptation and programming, but then you have this guy that lifts and knows maybe 10% of what this guy knows, this is the guy that's going to build a successful training business because he's able to communicate and relate that information to individuals much better than this guy. 
This guy might be great to coach coaches, but to coach people and athletes in general pot who pay the bills, even though this guy only knows 10% of what this guy knows, his ability to communicate it and be relatable is, is going to yield more success, I think, as, as a professional in the industry. Um, what some, some very valuable lessons I've learned about competing is, is how to properly peak and, um, and how much rest is necessary during your training, but also before competition. So when I first started competing, um, you know, I wasn't as strong as I am now. So I could basically train my ass off right up to the meet and compete and do well. And then I could probably get right back to training when, when, you know, on the Monday after the competition, I'd feel fine. As I got stronger and stronger, um, you think that because you're fitter and stronger and more adept that, you know, maybe you can do more and, and you don't need as much rest, but it's actually the opposite. Um, the more skilled you get in the lift. So let's take powerlifting, for example, that it's like, if you have somebody that let's say is three to five years old, as far as their training age, someone that's eight to 10 years old, this guy's max, the, 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 the beginner's max isn't like his true max, right? Because he's not very skilled in the lifts. So let's say if he has a 300 pound squat, that doesn't represent how much weight, I mean, it is how much weight he can lift, but it doesn't take as much out of him as this guy who's squatting eight or 900. Yes, I am, this guy is stronger, but that takes so much more out of him because he's developed so much more skill and proficiency in that lift that he's able to coordinate and tax his body so much more to achieve that heavier lift that it takes much more out of him and it's gonna take a lot longer to recover from. To give you kind of some more context, one of the first programs that I wrote was like my post-peak linear periodization program or whatever. And um, I used to, after I would compete, I would do something called a reverse ladder and then I would do 10 by 10, seven by seven, five by five. So for example, my 10 by 10s would be at like 70% and I could do it. So I let, let, let's say at the time I was probably a 650 squatter. I could do 10 sets of 10 at 70%. It wasn't easy, but I could do it. Now that I squat closer to eight, I might be able to do one set of 10 at 70 and I'll be fucking smoked. But it's like, hey, you're stronger, you're fitter. You know, it's relative, right? It's 70% of your max. Why can't you do 10 sets? It's because my max as a more skilled and proficient lifter is going to take a lot more out of me. And 70% of that is going to take a lot more out of me than 70% of, of a beginner. So that was kind of a hard lesson when I first started deadlifting over eight and squatting over seven, realizing that my last deadlift, it used to be a week out or 10 days out. Now it's two weeks or three weeks out. That's my last deadlift before competition. I'm not going to deadlift heavier, closer. Same thing with squat, maybe 10 days or two weeks, bench, maybe a week. And I need that full reload, that full taper week in order to be able to actually display the strength that I've created during my training cycle on game day, where previously I could train much closer. And then that was kind of a hard pill to swallow because like you and many other people, I enjoy training. And in the onset, it was kind of challenging to, to accept and actually apply that fact that I need more rest in order to be able to perform. But the difference is, is dramatic. You know, I give myself a full two weeks of light uh, technique work before a big competition, because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to recover from the stimulus provided and be able to actually perform on game day.
Yeah, definitely. I thought there was some really good points in there. Going back to the uh, the one about coaching in terms of you know having lots of education, whereas someone who has been in the in the trenches and you know put the hours un, uh, underneath the bar, it goes right back to the the start of the chat where um, it's getting buy in with the clients because ultimately as a coach you've got to be able to communicate with the um, with the client and know yeah do you know what I know how you're feeling whereas what was going through my head um, at, at one point I thought I was going to be a, a strength and conditioning coach for all the top rugby teams in the in the UK didn't didn't pan out from that mainly because I, did, I, I didn't really enjoy it as much I enjoyed actually having more time in the gym and there was other people who had done like masters in in sport and exercise science really cool a wealth of knowledge but I remember we went in and we had to set up the gym and they struggled setting up the gym you know getting getting everything sorted which is kind of like you know how are you, you gonna, left, what are you doing yeah how, how are you gonna how are you going to you know um speak to people who are going to come in and lift if you've not experienced that yourself and in terms of the con- competition side of, side of things I think you know what kind of uh shone through for me there is you know as beginners there's a lot more um space to get to the ceiling of getting to those maximum lifts and then that's why you know competing a little bit more regular as a beginner whereas you know competing at a higher level or a lot stronger it is going to take a lot out of you whereas you know that's why the the records you know are chipped and the increases are are, you know um, are not as big as when you're going to be as a beginner so yeah I thought there was some really really good points there and um as a as a chat there was quite a lot of topics thrown in there a couple of a couple of tangents thrown in um the last question that I like to ask from everything that we've chatted about there is uh, for everyone listening, what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom? Um, basically, understanding the the holistic approach to this, um, people become very focused upon training and crushing their workouts. And in the onset, if you're new, yeah, that'll work. But eventually, things are going to slow down, and your and your your progress is going to stop. And then you try and train even harder and train even harder. And then you get hurt or you get burnt out and you feel like shit. You have to look at the big picture. You know, um, there are all these concepts and ideas that people say, oh, it's 80% diet, 20%. It's like, forget that. It's 100% training. It's 100% nutrition. It's 100% recovery, right? That's it. That's the show. That's what's going to get you where you claim you want to, you want to be. And if you want to, if you want to take away and not give 100% to any one of these, those three pillars, it's okay. But realize you're leaving some progress on the table. Um, another thing too is, is injuries, aches and pains. Um, it, it's being able to understand the difference between an injury and just pain. I mean, you know, being sore is one thing, injury is another. And I see all the time people are constantly complaining about the same aches and pains for months and years. And it's like, get that looked at, get that checked out. Like, just, just get it fixed. There's resources out there. Like you don't have bad shoulders. You don't have a bad back. You don't have bad knees. Yeah. They feel like shit because you're not addressing it. Like fix that stuff. Um, Being able to take one, two, three, five, or 10 steps back is necessary more often than not to be able to take that one step forward. And with that comes the idea of like the long-term thing, you know, this being a lifetime choice, a lifetime hobby, a lifetime investment, and not short-term. More often than not, 
you know, you're going to have to take a couple steps back to be able to get forward. And that's okay. What that's going to do is it's, 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 it's going to, it's going to take something that, you know, might be a two or three year issue and make it a two or three week issue. And then you can get back to training and get back to growing, get back to adapting. So basically having the, the humility and the awareness to be able to address these things is what's going to help you make the progress that you want long-term. Um, you know, the, the resources are out there and, and, and stop DMing me and answering my and asking my questions about, about injuries and stuff. I'm just some meathead that lifts weights. Go, go see a physio, go see a PT, get in front of them, let them get their hands on you and, and, and get, and, and get better, feel better. You don't need to keep fighting these same injuries. Um, you know, stop creating limitations instead, instead create solutions. Um, the guys and girls that I've been doing it the longest are, are the ones that have the biggest numbers, you know, that's why a lot of guys are still breaking records in their forties, you know, because they take care of themselves, you know, strength is a long-term investment, a long-term process. So it's so important to address these little things as they come up. So they stay little things and don't become catastrophic limiters like this pain in the ass right here, you know? Awesome. Some really good uh, words of wisdom there. And I think that kind of wraps up, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we spoke about, uh, spoke about in this chat. Um, thanks a lot, Steve, for taking the time to jump on. Really, really oh, enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, yeah, no, no, no worries at all. Like I say, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, really enjoyed that chat. Um, for everyone listening who might have questions about what we've chatted about today, obviously uh, not questions about injuries. Uh, I completely agree. Like, go see some, go see somebody about that. Like my um, back's bothering yeah. me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> We're going to yeah, yeah. um, uh, For the topics that we've chatted about, or if people want to see the content that you put out there, um, where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you? So my personal Instagram, I'm pretty active on there. That's at Stripcam, at S-T-R-I-P-P-C-A-M. Um, don't get the wrong idea. It's my name, Steve Tripp, camera. <laughs> Some people think I was in like the, the industry or something. I wasn't. So it's at <laughs> and that's me. And then of course my gym at the top strength project. Um, we're here in, in Providence, Rhode Island or Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And, uh, the website top We're always updating that, but probably the best way to get a hold of me is, is through Instagram. I'm on there, um, more often than I'd like, but it, it, it serves me well. It's a great way to connect with people and, get my workouts out there, get training out there. And also um, on the first, I will be releasing the first episode of the top strength cast. That's going to be available everywhere. YouTube, Spotify, podcast apps, the, the whole nine. So we're going to be doing about an episode a week there. That's been, um, that's been taken off real well. I have eight episodes recorded. So we're going to start releasing those on the first. So at strip cam is me at the top strength project or the top strength project.com. And please keep your eyes out for the top strength cast. Um, I've, I've had a lot of fun with that so far. And I think we're going to be able to offer a good amount of value and content to those who are interested in listening. So that's me. Awesome. I'll definitely be, uh, I'll definitely be tuning in, especially with it, uh, especially with it just, just around the corner on the, uh, on the first. Um, thanks a lot, Steve, for taking the time to jump on. Thanks a lot to everyone listening. And I will see you all next week. All right. Thanks, Steve.